unrealistic for a, a standard to set for all of these new uh, animators who want to get into this industry and think that this is the bar they have to meet. The boards that they're posting on their social medias and stuff, those aren't even the ones that make it into like the cutting room board. It feeds into this burnout culture that's in animation that I just, I don't vibe with. <laughs> Hello and welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising black, indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Ray Mendoza-Landa, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura-Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Angelica Ahelvis. She is a Latina storyboard artist in Puerto Rico. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Hi, Yuki. Hi, Ray. Um, hey. <laughs> my name is Angelica Helvis. You guys can call me Ange. Ange is fine. I am currently living in Puerto Rico, which is where I was born and raised. I'm a Latina storyboard artist. I started my career in 2020, the yeah, pandemic year. And Ooh. I've been working <laughs> with different studios from uh, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, Disney, uh, and everything in between. And That's awesome. Else. That's crazy. <laughs> Perfect introduction. We like to start off on straight ahead is by playing a fun little game called in between we're mm-hmm. going to give you two similar choices and then you have to choose in between the two of them and then let us know why okay okay it'll make sense once we get going <laughs> okay go for it i'm excited okay i'll start us off with the first question i hope you know some of these let's see oh, no. <laughs> wow okay would you rather be a professional duelist like in Yu-Gi-Oh? <gasps> Or a professional Beyblader, like oh, in Beyblade. No, no wait. Okay, it depends. <laughs> it depends. Okay. If I can be a professional duelist, can I have like a millennial item? Can I be like possessed by an ancient hot spirit? So like <laughs> being actually possessed is is part of the like the charm draw for you. Okay, if it's in the board, I want a duelist one hundred percent. Okay, sure. Let's let's do that. You can you can have a millennia item. You can be possessed by something. Yes. <laughs> but if not, you would go for Beyblade. Um. No, I would still. <laughs> you still choose Duelist. Duelist, yeah. I want like my own dark magician buddy. Like that's Wait, what, what 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 millennia wow. item would you want? Of course, I want the puzzle. I want to be like okay. Jami. I want Jami on my team, bro. <laughs> you don't you don't want the Millennium Eye or the no, the Millennium Rings, the staff, the thing the, with the, the eye, the balance, the balance thingy. The eye seems too permanent, bro. <laughs> like, it's, it's a little permanent. Yeah, you do be losing one eye. <laughs> with the with the Millennium puzzle, you got like that pimp swag. You got like the whole like shade thing. Mm-hmm. And you get a pharaoh. You get a pharaoh. True. Exactly. None of the other suckers are pharaohs. Yeah, why would you go for anything else? Why would you go for like staff with the thief? Like, okay. Okay, what, what about you, Yuki? Professional blader or professional duelist? Oh my god. I, you know what? Honestly, like, conventionally, I might go for Beyblade because in Beyblade, all you have to do is believe in the spirit, in the Beyblade, and they do all the work for you. It's like Pokemon, right? Like, you don't really do anything. You like let it rip and you're like, that's it. They never say like, it, it, man, he really strategy. fumbled. He really fumbled like letting it rip, you know, like that never happens. You got to just pull the cord and then the Beyblade does it. And you, you just no. like, you know, you're just like, yeah, like I believe in you, you know. But in Yu-Gi-Oh, but it, you have the power of friendship. 
But in Yu-Gi-Oh, you have to like make a deck and you have to think about like, I was bad at Yu-Gi-Oh growing up. I was like, wow, this card looks neat. I'll put it in my deck. Like- <laughs> <laughs> Plus, there's always that possibility of any match you're in. You might be, depending who you fight against, especially if you have a Millennium item. You get to go to the Shadow Realm where you're like fighting for your life half the time. Listen, if you're afraid to die, don't even be born, okay? That's just She's she's real Yu-Gi-Oh material though. <laughs> I think I think I would have to agree with Yuki. I think I would go professional Beyblader. I think I've, I've swayed you. <laughs> I just like Beyblade just a little more. I think I love Yu-Gi-Oh! and I love deck building, but I think, yeah, there's my life is more at risk. There's more strategy involved. I Like Yuki said, I like the idea of believing in my bit beast and just like the music slaps in the original Beyblade. Yeah. <laughs> you think the music is diegetic, so it's like happening while this is happening? Hell, hell yeah, it's happening in my head. <laughs> No. I, I respect that you want to be I think the people who have millennium items they just become hotter right like there's the the, the air of confidence <laughs> makes you hotter like I'm already like a 10 imagine me with a millennium item yeah I'm yeah 100% <laughs> I'm already a 10 but how could I be hotter with a millennium item that's how <laughs> so great that is a perfect answer okay last question these are fun. Just keep them going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, skip the interview. Let's just keep doing me. this. Skip me. This is much more interesting. Would you rather ride with Batman in the Batmobile <gasps> from Batman the Animated Series or with Roger in the Big O from Big O? <gasps> this is so rough. I feel like I want to ride with Roger in the Big O because okay. hear me out. His his car becomes Big O. So I I don't think Batman's Batmobile turns into anything except like maybe a submarine Batmobile. But like that's it. (laughs) I think it has like multiple. If you're going for like Justice League, I think he can also fly to space. Don't quote me on that. No, he has different like bat. It's different vehicles. Yeah, okay. But the Batmobile, like depending on this, because in the, in T-Tines go to the movies. (laughs) Oh the Batmobile, God. the Batmobile turned from the Batmobile into a motorcycle, into, into a, a scooter, and then into skates. Oh. Okay, it does turn into a motorcycle, though. I do know that. <laughs> yeah, a giant robot or a scooter. <laughs> yeah, but you also you also gotta think about who who you're with. You're with the Batman. <sighs> no, but okay, but like. But Roger has, like, uh, Dorothy, who's, like, his, his Alfred, basically. And she's, like, this cute little anime girl. And I want, like, a cute anime girl sidekick and a giant robot. <laughs> but the but the Batman has Robin. <laughs> so you are imagining yourself as Roger. I am Roger. <laughs> Always in my head, 24-7. I am Roger. No, um, I would still pick Big O. I love Batman. This is a hard question, actually, because I love Batman. But oh. if the Batmobile could turn into a giant robot... Then it'd be a no-brainer, but it doesn't. Yeah, so I, I yeah. would pick Big O. I get it. I think if I could wear the Robin costume, I would want to run around with Batman. I love how you have put yourself in as Robin, and like Ange has put herself in as the main character, like Roger. Like she's like, I want the sidekick. I am the Batman. Like in this situation, always. 
Uh, just be a glimpse Wait, of how I view myself. Robin? Which Robin, though? This is important. Dick Grayson Robin. Okay. Yeah, because he wants to be Nightwing. Exactly. Oh, we oh, yeah. right I, I would, through you. I, I, would, I would go to be Nightwing afterwards. I would eventually, like, uh, like, like, like Dick did, I would eventually punch Batman in the face and then walk off to be Nightwing. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, yeah, that'd be awesome. How many people say they punch Batman in the face and he didn't punch him back? <laughs> but, but didn't punch him back. <laughs> You gotta walk away punching Batman and not get any, not face any repercussions. <laughs> Don't let him get a hit and you'll lose. Fair enough. Plus, again, like I like because then the R could also stand for Robin and for Ray, so like that's also gonna be cool. I get it. What about you, Yuki? Uh, this is hard because like both situations kind of suck in my opinion. Oh. <laughs> uh, in terms of like Gotham is cool, but it like. It sucks to live there. Yeah. <laughs> Although I guess you would be Batman, so you would have a lot of money. So I guess it wouldn't matter. And uh, in Rogers World... Okay, so Ray, I don't know if you've seen Big O. I've been I rewatching not. Big O with some friends recently and came to realize Big O is just Batman. Yeah. It, is, it is just Batman <laughs> anime, but like not even subtle. Like we were watching it, we were like, oh... He. This is like a whole like. I'm pretty sure they were inspired by like no, Batman, yeah, the, the animated the series, author. because the yeah, author. yeah, because mm-hmm. like the Directly style of that, it yeah. is very yeah angular. Um, and it came out after. Oh, wow. um, came out after the author was very inspired by Batman. He he wanted to bring like that western style yeah. to anime, so he created the Big O, which is like Batman the anime. But they didn't let him yeah. do Batman the anime, so it's like. I'm gonna do my own Batman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's really essentially Batman. He's not rich though. He's like a dude. He's a what do they call him? He's kind of rich. He's kind of bougie. Oh my god. He has like a specific title. He basically just argues with people. That's oh. his job. And a then lawyer? he also like he he's no he like does he's a negotiator. Uh. He does some like investigating so that he can like back up his yeah, negotiations. He's like, a, he's like a PI. He's like a PI yeah. negotiator. That's mm. his title. Yeah, yeah. And then he has, like, his goth uh, robot Dorothy sidekick. Like, yeah, his there's all this stuff. It's very, like, goth goth aesthetic. Yes. Vigo's um, a great time. I recommend it. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's it it finished it's because good. the author died. Oh, man. Oh, um, no. Ah, so, that's unfortunate. like, you're left with the limbo of, like, the end. And like, what? Is none of it will happen? What's going on? And then we'll never find out because he died. Yeah. Damn. But I mean, I'd probably also go with Big O in this situation. Just I, like giant robot, Batmobile. Come on. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'll have a lot of fun riding the Batmobile. It's all cool. Okay. Yeah. Right, good. Passenger on the Batmobile. Okay. <laughs> Dude, yeah, uh, she's coming for uh, you. What the? <laughs> well, on that Bye. note, thank you for playing with us. <laughs> so no, thank you. This is fun. Uh, and our audience, if you have any suggestions for future in-between questions, send us a message either on Twitter or Instagram at straightaheadap or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, with that out the way, let's jump right into the interview. Could you tell us how you first got your start working in animation? Um, sure. I love telling this story because it's a fun story. And I think a lot of artists can relate if you study in animation school, being at like 2 a.m. in like the labs, putting your work together, <laughs> just like drain and like putting up your first portfolio demo reel. Um, this was my first semester at RIT. 
and I was putting my first demo reel, which was, of course, really bad. But I'm like, whatever, it's fine. I'm just going to put it together, put it up on this random Facebook page for uh, Caribbean animators mm. that had like mm. 2,000 people on it. So I'm like, whatever, it doesn't wow. matter. It's, I'm just going to put it up. And it was like 2 a.m. I was getting ready to like, you know, wrap up and go to my home. And at 2.15, I get this email. I'm like, oh, this is weird. And the email just said, yo, your shit's dope. Want to work with us? I'm like, what is this? And when I looked at the email, it was someone from Adult Swim. I'm like, bro, this is a scam. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah, like, this isn't real. This isn't real. Um, but then I, I literally, I shut down the computer, went to bed, and, like, the next day they were like, hey, following up on, like, our conversation, the prior email, I'm like, oh, that was a conversation? Okay. Cause it was not a conversation. Word, <laughs> word for word, it was your shit dope. <laughs> like, okay. I can um, I can see why you're a little skeptical of like Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it turned into my first gig. My first year in animation school was uh doing the ID bumpers for Fully Cooly, which is an anime show in Adult oh, Swim. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. They wanted someone to do like uh three thirty second ad bumpers to uh get promo to like the original show plus the two new shows that they were having, which was Fully Cooly Alternative and Fully Cooly mm. Progressive. So that was mm. that was my first gig. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, I heard I've heard of bumpers, but like, uh, so is ID and bumpers like the same thing, or what does like ID stand for? Um, so it's it's basically yeah, interchangeably used as the same thing. So an ID bumper okay. is like those little things that happen in between Adult Swim shows. Like I guess in the world of streaming, it doesn't exist <laughs> anymore. But back in the old days. Uh, we had commercial breaks, and they would show these like uh, internal ads from Adult Swim, you know, promoting their shows and promoting just like the Adult Swim vibe. And so, not only did he do that for Adult Swim, but he also did something similar for Disney uh, for when they were promoting Spider Man Far From Home. Yeah. How was that experience uh, doing doing that bumper or that ID? It was a uh, it was stressful. <laughs> it was yeah. it was Disney. I feel like Adult Swim, even from the get go of their email, it was so relaxed, so it mm. never felt real until yeah, it was actually. Yeah, like yo, your shit's dope. <laughs> yeah, it was, and that was like how they would talk like on the phone. It was like yo, this is sick, bro. Like keep killing it. I'm like cool, 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 cool. <laughs> um, but Disney was so much more GI in that sense. They're like, okay, this is our email. This is our timeline. You only have X days to do this. Uh, it was basically mm-hmm. a weekend crunch where I had to do like the storyboards and some oh, style, style boards and then some animation. I didn't do the overall animation. I just did some of it. Mm. So it was a lot more stressful because they were more serious. And this was only my ever, like my second ever job in animation. And I was, mm-hmm. I was still at school too. So. I was going to say, were you still like crunching still, at school yeah, and I you're like, I got to take this weekend, like goodbye schoolwork. Like <laughs> not even like goodbye schoolwork. I had two part-time jobs. I was working at a Michael's frame shop and I was working at a, oh, gas, wow. at a gas station. And I had to tell everybody like, um, I still have to work the gas station gig, but everything else, like I put on hold. Cause I'm like, how many opportunities like this am I going to get? Yeah. It's what, yeah. You it's what you think as a student, which is dumb. You'll get them all yeah. the time. In this. Mm. But yeah. No, but especially when you're young or you're starting out, you feel like you got to take any opportunity that kind of comes your way because you feel like, oh, if I miss out on this. Not like- even when you're young. I think the opposite for me because I'm I'm an older student. I, mm. I, I was 26. I'm like, I'm already so late in the industry. I'm seeing mm. all of these people like great age, uh, much younger, like 20, 22, working yeah. already in the industry doing these big projects. I'm so late. I'm so behind. I, I, mm-hmm. They won't hire me. I'm old. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that's that's sort of like where the stress came for me. Like I need to take these jobs because I I don't know how much more profitable I'm gonna be in the industry. Which again, it comes from a place of misinformation. And I think school mm-hmm. is a big participant in that and giving that yeah. sort of pressure that the younger you are in the industry, the better off you'll be. Which is uh-huh. not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. the. Because the one thing that's kind of coming to my mind, especially if you because there's some amazing young talent killing it at the age of like 18, 19, which is mm-hmm. like, how the hell are you this good at this young age? But mm-hmm. the the thing about that, too, is that starting so young and going so hard so early, you can potentially risk burnout very early on in your career, which is something that I feel like young, expiring artists that want to enter should be mindful of. Like, don't go too ham too quick. Like, pace yourself. It's a it's, it's a marathon, not a race when it comes to this industry, especially because like carpal tunnel burnout it's all super real mm-hmm. uh, especially the emotional burnout aspect i think a lot of people underestimate mm-hmm. and that this might be more of a western thing because in the caribbean i'm more used to like the laid back easy going mm-hmm. experience and that's definitely not something that i've experienced with the studios in the u.s or like more gung-ho about meeting these often ridiculous deadlines uh mm-hmm. that burn out the artists like it's at expense of the talent and if you're doing a production at the expense of your talent is the production worthy then is what i generally think of mm-hmm. so it's, it's sort of like this tightrope that you're walking where you want to excel and exceed expectations but also mm-hmm. are those expectations healthy for you mm-hmm. it's a good thing to think about that's well put one of the things i kind of also want to ask is that you also kind of worked as a story director for like mtv how was that experience and like what did what were you doing in that role when uh when you got the opportunity so i worked through them for them through a studio called cartoona cartoona does a bunch of oh, like cartoona yes they do a yeah. bunch of little odds and ends for different studios um so they put me in contact with mtv and i did a couple of uh, storyboards for different interviews and different projects so i got to do that which was a lot of fun mtv's similarly to Adult Swim is a lot more relaxed vibe. They definitely enjoy letting the artists do what the artists want to do. If they're hiring mm-hmm. you, it's because they like they like your vibe. So mm-hmm. that was very interesting. Like I had a lot of creative freedom to just be silly, which is something that is it's like the dream for animators and storyboard artists, like pushing our ideas and making them as silly and, and as wonderful as we want to without having that executive being like, oh, tone it down. <laughs> 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 and mtv is like no turn it up turn mm-hmm. it up mm-hmm. uh so that was that was a lot of fun for me um and i got to do my first director job uh storyboarding for them and art directing uh other talent in in those gigs while i was still at school <laughs> i was gonna say <laughs> that's insane that is like, freaking insane in school that whole time <laughs> yes um because that all of that just sort of snowballed and mm. And I was working on my thesis at the time. And I just, listen, I'm like Alexander Hamilton. I just want to do a lot of stuff at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) And there's not enough time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was fun. I I think if anybody has the opportunity to work with a studio that's a little bit more lackadaisical in their content and a little bit doesn't take itself too seriously, they should totally do that because it's very liberating, at least for Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely doing like kind of more alternative anime, a little bit more experimental than normal normally like we see a lot of animation which is like it's kind of hard to find honestly opportunities to do that in in an industry setting 
especially for storyboard artists, I feel like we feel mm. we don't fit in into that like more alternative or experimental because experimental by definition generally this means like they think it means little planning, but no, there's a space for storyboard artists in experimental yeah. animation, and I feel like that's something mm-hmm. that's not often explored. Mm-hmm. No, very much so. Uh, one of the things I kind of want to also ask is that so you've been so you've storyboarded, you've animated, you've worked on a multitude of different things, uh, including like the sci-fi Magical Girl Friendship Squad, mm-hmm. the Nickelodeon SpongeBob Reimagined, mm-hmm. and then for Cartoon Network Latam, the Rey Mysterio versus La Oscuridad. Mm-hmm. So like you worked on a mixture of short form and long form content. How would you compare those two experiences? Because I feel like very early on in your career, you're working on these more short form ID puppets, and then now having the chance to storyboard on stuff like on Ray or on like Magical Friendship Squad, how how has those experiences kind of compared to one another? I I generally enjoy the short form format hmm. in, mm. in terms because I again there's so much I want to do and so much I want to say and long term formats like TV shows that I thoroughly enjoy because I get to work with a, a larger production team and I get to meet more people. Hmm. I I tend to get bored very easily. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad it's a bad thing it's because I, I i've been with the characters too long i've been with the setting too long i'm like i want to move on to the next thing i want to move on to the next project and that's something that i've been trying to curb in terms of like okay i can work on this long-term project and maybe a short-term passion project for myself mm-hmm. uh to sort of balance out that need to like constantly do something different because i'm i'm like sonic i gotta go fast and <laughs> and long-term projects are are wonderful but they're long <laughs> and they, and they mm-hmm. feel eternal uh, when you're working on them. So having a side passion project definitely helps. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can I can definitely understand that. I think I I like the security of being on a long form oh. project and not being able to jump around. That's a big uh, one. Yeah, so that's ma- mainly for me. But like, I think that's also because um, yeah, I think everybody has their own reasonings for why you like doing stuff. I think the thing for me specifically, what draws me to like streaming or like TV. Mm-hmm. Is I like the idea of working with these characters throughout the course of a season mm-hmm. versus working with a character throughout a course of a movie. Because I feel mm-hmm. like there's more opportunities for characters to kind of grow or evolve throughout a, a TV series versus um, that w- just that one arc in a movie. But would love to still have an opportunity to work in feature. Um, but also like with you, with working with these short form and long form contents, like do you like the ability of jumping between doing a mixture of story and animating and the effects that you get to do? Or do you want to mainly focus more on story as you kind of get further into your career? Yeah, mainly focus on storyboarding. My background was doing comic strips for the national newspaper here back home. Oh, wow. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and it's something that I found very fulfilling at the time. Uh, but as I was working on that, I'm like, I wish these would move. Which is what animation. Because I'm like, this is fulfilling. I want a little bit more. So I want kind of like that special, special place where comics, meet animation and they move and storyboards are the perfect place for that. Is is that, yeah. <laughs> storyboards is Very that. So. And, and I want I want to be able to I guess we'll, we're all storyboard artists right here, right? Uh, I'm an animator. He's an animator. Oh, okay. Well I you people <laughs> understand that. I feel like there's there's a lot of work that goes into animation, um, in terms of like the subtleties of, of acting and, and performance. Yeah. Um I'm not particularly fond of <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, like, it sounds like you enjoy doing the thumbnail phase, and now you're like, man, I have to clean up my boards. <laughs> this, this is incongruable. This is insane. 
um, this feels slightly xenophobic. No, but you know what I mean. Like it's it's a lot of work, um, and and I enjoy being able to get past that phase quickly with storyboards. I'm like, okay, next next thing, after the next thing, after the next thing. You can say yeah. I have animation ADHD, but with like storyboarding and my projects, I just like moving on very quickly mm-hmm. so I can I can tell the story in its entirety. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I think that like kind of feeds into the the narrative of what's happening with storyboards right now where like a lot of well not a lot of but some storyboards uh have come out i guess more like in recent times it's more common for storyboards to basically become animation keys with like extra detail extra timing (laughs) and it's it sucks because like as an animator like they tell us you have to follow these boards exactly and i'm like so i can't like interpret the board and say like you know timing for boards is way different than timing for animation because once you get all of the keys in there you know walking from point a to point b takes a lot less time in boards than it does in animation like to make it look mm-hmm. smooth just as an example but even doing like interpreting like oh person is sad and sighs or like is happy and then like comes down from that or whatever you interpret that differently when you animate and mm-hmm. that's like I'm like okay I got it from the board she's standing here she was happy now she's sad I'm going to take that and like put my own spin on it like add the subtle subtlety put it back on model do that kind of thing but when the boards are too keyed it's sort of like all right guess I'll just do exactly what they did and have no you know artistic input at all and it sucks mm-hmm. like <laughs> it's very cool to look at those but it sucks. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're all kind of wishing it wouldn't be that way. I feel it sucks yeah. for storyboard artists too because I, I mm-hmm. might have an interpretation and right now I, I'm just wrapping up a project with MTV uh, where I storyboarded and directed a crew and I was so fascinated by the interpretations of my animators to my board yeah. and that's such a fulfilling mm-hmm. process of like uh, the collaborative uh, medium of animation. Like I want yeah. to see what Yuki has to say about my boards because I'm sure she can she can see it differently than I because we're two different people and I, I enjoy that process so much. It might not always hit the mark, but there's room for exploration and growth. And by yeah. putting all of these keys into a storyboard, I'm stifling that growth that Yuki could bring to the story. And I, I'll call it out. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You. I'm looking right at you, bro. Look it. Like, they're beautiful boards. But they are not. It's it's an unrealistic expectation, especially it's, for somebody it's who yeah. wants to break in. It's unrealistic mm-hmm. for a, a standard to set for all of these young or old or new uh, animators who want to get into this industry and think that this is the bar they have to meet, which yeah. is absurd. It is so much work. Uh, I've been in talks with like the animation guild as well about how exploitative it is for these storyboard artists to be making these because. Yeah. Fun, fun fact, these are the boards that they're posting on their social medias and stuff. Those aren't even the ones that make it into like the cutting room boards. A yeah. lot of the times mm-hmm. it's stuff that they have, they ask them to retouch for social media, which is insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so it's just, it feeds into this burnout culture that's in animation that I just, I don't vibe with. Yeah. Not to mention that like exact will like look and that's like, we want that. 
why aren't we getting yeah, more of exactly. that? I'm like, no, fuck you. <laughs> I think that's the most damaging is like not to artists, because I feel like most artists are in those circles and hearing about like, this is not standard. And we're like, OK, but then, you know, an executive will see that and be like, we want those those kind of boards. And like then the expectation is set and they're like looking for people who will do that. And this is our PSA to be like, hey, you don't have yeah. to. Please, and also, please don't. What do you mean you can't get it done in six weeks? Yeah. TMNT did it. Yes, and I just had a meeting with a feature film studio. I was doing an interview for them. And they were like, oh, we love your story, boys. We'd love to bring you on board. Uh, we're looking for more detailed work, though, like the recent Nickelodeon work that has been doing with, like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm like, no! No. <laughs> Stop it! No. <laughs> Stop right Unless there. Unless no. you're going to give me the time or pay me the OT to do that, hell no. Because so, I'm just going to say this. For sure, for a fact, there was a lot of unpaid OT to finish those boards. And it's so yeah. pervasive. It is it is, it is, actively infecting everything around us right now in terms of industry standards. And, and yeah. that meeting yesterday was such an eye-opener. Like, oh, this is like someone who works in the industry and has to work in the industry and is a recruiter. And this is what they're looking for now. No. What? Mm-hmm. How? How do we get like to not this okay. point? How do we get yeah. here? Where we have to like completely eliminate the animation aspect of it and leave all of this work for the storyboard artists and then none for the animators. It's so unfair. Yeah, they're not giving shows the proper budget that it needs because I think that's the thing too, like, because I like the ability of animators being able to be creative and add something to the boards, but it's kind of like a double-edged sword, at least on the studio side, because when you leave it up to interpretation, sometimes like, oh, that's not really what we wanted, so we're going to have to pay them again or pay extra money for retakes or to, you know, redo. But there's other times where it's like, Sometimes the boards are just there as a blueprint, as a plan. Like we didn't have time as a board. Sometimes we don't always have time to add all the acting in. Mm-hmm. And you're hoping that the animator can bring something special. But sometimes you get back a dead animation where they follow mm-hmm. the boards to exact where there's no really emotion in the boards or in the I mean, there's no really emotion in the animation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's such like a f- tight rope to kind of walk where studios, they want the boards to be basically rough keys or rough animations mm-hmm. that way all overseas studios all they have to do is trace basically yeah but you kind of then they yeah, should you pay you for bit. key animation they yeah. should pay you for key animation that's not storyboarding i don't want mm-hmm. to pay for key animation i want you to get paid <laughs> <laughs> anyway sorry <laughs> we've gone off on a very long tangent the point is yeah. it's a beautiful art form god bless the storyboard artist for tmt you guys are doing beautiful mm-hmm. work Yes, it's stunning. It's stunning, though. Yeah, yeah. stop, but it's stunning. (laughs) So one of the most recent things you've done, like, and which is also one of the things that kind of we worked on together very briefly was on Rey Mysterio versus La Oscuridad. Mm -hmm. What was it like working on a Latam show like Rey? And uh, what have you kind of enjoyed about it? And what maybe some of the challenges, if any, working on a show like like Rey Mysterio? So the things that I thoroughly enjoyed are obviously being able to see people like you and see people like your family represented in the medium. Uh, that's always something that's mm-hmm. very joyful for me where I'm, I'm storyboarding. I'm like, oh, I'm adding this little detail that nobody else will probably think about. But I'm like, oh, it's a little, a little platano stand and they're selling platanos. <laughs> they're so cute. It's like, but nobody else is going to like think of that. But I'm like, I did that. That's, that's part of us right there. Uh, so that was very mm-hmm. joyful being able to work with characters and settings that are so dear and close to like who we are as a as an identity. Uh, even mm-hmm. if I'm not Mexican, I'm still like that's something that we partake in in, in similar ways in Puerto Rican culture and Venezuelan culture. So that was mm-hmm. obviously very joyful. Um, getting to work on a team, 
uh, was also very fun. Uh, so far, because I started my career in the pandemic in 2020, I've been working remotely most of the time uh, and on shorter projects where it's usually me and like maybe two other animators, or two other storyboard artists, sorry. So with the Remy Serio team, it felt like a bigger community. Mm-hmm. And that was, even for me, Ray's like, I've worked on bigger studios. <laughs> but for me, <laughs> it still felt fairly big because it's always just been me uh-huh. and this really dope Pokemon room. Like, that's it. And, and it, it felt expanded. <laughs> Some of the drawbacks, I feel, maybe budget, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. Latin, Amer- Latin American rates was something that they talked to me about. And they're just not sustainable in Puerto Rico or in the U.S. in terms of mm-hmm. like the effort that is put into the work and mm-hmm. how that reflects with my end of the budget for the month and how I have to yeah. eat. <laughs> and for yeah. those that might not be aware, just kind of like let people know the U.S. dollar is about, right now is worth about 20 pesos in Mexico. So the conversion between currencies is very, very high. When I was like when I was like like fourth or fifth grade, like when I was like 10 or eight, a, a dollar used to be 10 pesos and now like it's literally the, the dollar has gone double. up double in mexico that's mm-hmm. insane so that obviously means that for example in a standard month you would be making 400 dollars 400 us american dollars for wow, a full for one time, month for one month of full-time storyboard work Jeez. Mm-hmm. which is if you're living in the u.s especially you guys in california that's not even your rent <laughs> That's, no, that's not even like that's like food, maybe. <laughs> food, maybe exactly, and it 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 was very hard having to work with them and be like, hey, this is not something that I can do full time for you guys because it's not sustainable for me. Mm-hmm. It's something that I genuinely love and adore because it's a story that I'm passionate about with characters that I truly care about. Because mm-hmm. you you grew up a big Rey Mysterio fan. If I, we met when we went to the Lily like you know uh, film mm-hmm. film thing to see Rey Mysterio on the red carpet, but like yeah, we were talking. Yeah, you grew up watching Rey. You saw Rey in Puerto Rico a few times as well. <laughs> yes, we did. Uh, <laughs> Rey, Rey Mysterio, we love him as if he were one of our own. We always root for the Latino characters, of course. But Rey Mysterio is like he's the little guy, and we we always mm-hmm. root for the little guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he was such an icon for me growing up that I'm like I definitely have to work on this because I owe it to myself to work on mm-hmm. each, uh, uh, with my hero. But that I think that was something that we came at an empath eventually the studio and I were like we'll work some of the shots um, that you can that you're available for um, as long as you'll take it and yeah. But sometimes that's animation, right? Sometimes you'll do you'll do it for the love of the passion and the craft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not necessarily for the money and they know that too no yeah. very 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 much so like i'm i'm working i'm still technically working on ray but i'm working part-time i've always kind of been part-time on it but it's honestly the passion and being able to work on a, like i loved ray mister growing up he was like one of my heroes still is my hero to this day mm-hmm. and yeah being able to like work on something like being able to work with like an all latino crew yeah. being able to work on something that's like yeah my culture things i grew up with and the the part that I've been having the most fun with working on Ray is that because like and like you as well, I grew up watching wrestling and I love the ability that I can also not only bring authenticity within my culture, but bring some authenticity to the actual wrestling. Because I feel oftentimes wrestling when it gets interpreted in media or cartoons and stuff is super, super spectacle or pushy or very, I guess, for lack of a better word, cartoony. Yeah, it's like I kind of want to bring some authentic wrestling moves and still make it entertaining, but keep that sense of authenticity within the movement, the choreography and the storytelling. Totally. 
Yeah, it's it's an art in of itself, and a lot of times mm-hmm. they they omit that in in Western media, and I I love that Raymond Studio brought that. Like these are people who are passionate about their craft in terms of mm-hmm. wrestling, and and they're yeah. engaged in it fully and wholeheartedly, and that's what Raymond Studio brought to the table for me. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, very very much true. The other thing I also want to jump into is that uh, you were a lead storyboard artist and character designer for the short film uh, Nuevo Rico, which has been awarded, you know, best animated short film by La Leaf in 2021 and a jury winner for the SXSW Film and Music Festival for 2021 uh, for best animated short. What was it like kind of working with the director, uh, Christian Mercado, to help bring kind of their vision to life? Um, So this was my third time working with Chris. He was one of the first people I met for the Adult Swim thing. He was one of the, he's, he's Puerto uh-huh. Rican, so he was the one who was on that Facebook group with 2,000 people for uh-huh. anyway, and he's the one And he saw, was like, yo, your shit's dope. Yeah, so anyway, <laughs> it's all thanks to Chris. Uh, he got that ball rolling, and, and we've worked on a couple of projects since then, and he's always been very supportive about telling authentic uh, Puerto Rican stories. So, uh, Nuevo Rico was sort of like his brainchild that he'd been working on for, for quite a while, and he's like, hey... Again, your shit's dope. Do you want to work with me on this? I'm like, sure. And then 2020 happened. And, you know, the Fire Nation mm-hmm. attacked. And we, we sort of like, <laughs> uh, we're, it was so, such a nerve-wracking time for the project because we were just starting out. Um, and we, we never thought mm-hmm. we would make it uh, past the pre-production aspect of it. But luckily, that we pushed through with it. Um, not easy. Not easy with the times that we were in and... I was working on this uh, sci-fi magical girl friendship spot project and other like low level, not low level, but like short form gigs, like mm. ads and, and other things, publicity bumpers and such. So mm-hmm. obviously it was very, uh, it was a very hectic time in my career. I was just starting to get my career in animation going. So patching project, uh, sort of fall back, right? I mean, we've all been there. We're working on a patching project mm-hmm. and then real life sets in. Mm-hmm. And real life here was 2020, just being 2020. So it was even tougher, I feel like. But we, we got it rolling. Um, we finished it in end of 2020. And then I'm like, okay, this is never going to hit the light of day. <laughs> and, and oh. <laughs> sometimes it'd be like that. Like when you put all of your eggs yeah. in a basket and you're like, nobody's going to care. This is a, a story about Puerto Ricans who I think the only story we have out there is West Side Story. So nobody's going to care about us unless we're dancing and singing with the Jets. So, you know, I didn't give it any thought, but Chris, Chris was a trooper and he, he promoted the heck out of this. And we got on South by Southwest. We got on the Lee. We were on the Cartoon Bruce contender list for like uh, candidates for Oscars for 2022. Amazing. Like that was, that was a, a real thrill because I'm like, this part that I didn't expect would survive was suddenly doing really good. Um, and it just gave me that push that, you know, we, we need to tell more stories about who we are in a way that's not cartoonish, in a way that's not ridiculous or, or oversimplified for Western media. Mm-hmm. And so the film is still going the film circuit, right? It's not readily available to watch right now? Yes, it's still think- doing the film circuit, yes. Okay, but I think you guys have a trailer out, so if people want to see it, they yes. totally can. So that's honestly, that's amazing. I'm glad that you got, and again, it's, it's such a great feeling when someone above you is from your same culture and there's just that sense of relatability, that sense of like, okay, I know where this voice is coming from because I'm coming from that same place. 
it's a it's, it's a beautiful feeling it's so important too because you um i'm usually the only latina in the room when i'm working on other projects i like, feel you <laughs> you feel me it's it's very it's very hard i'm usually the only latina sometimes the only woman so uh working with chris and the all latino crew that he brought in um was so you know it justifies my position in this industry and that it was okay to tell these stories about black latinos and indigenous latinos in a space of cyberpunk space where we've never been in before because mm-hmm. we if you look at like sci-fi uh science fiction or even cyberpunk dystopias latino characters aren't that prevalent um mm-hmm. and indigenous characters are even less prevalent and mm-hmm. i like that that sh- that movies like prey the newest predator movie are changing that uh, yeah. and giving us like a space where we can exist uh, yeah, uh, we, we we can exist in fantasy. We can exist in sci-fi. <laughs> yeah. Okay, listen, we gotta take something. <laughs> we gotta. We we exist. <laughs> I feel like, especially uh, like indigenous, like you said, is not really in sci-fi. And like, we just had an interview with um, Carissa. Oh, with Carissa, yeah, and she was saying like she would be in school, and like people would be talking about indigenous peoples as if they were in the past. And she's like, I'm literally sitting right here, and like you know, imagining them in a sci-fi setting is like, they're not going away. Please stop trying to make them go away. (laughs) And even in in sci-fi, if you allude to indigenous people, we have Avatar. Like, we're we're sensationalized into these, like, old tropes and stereotypes of what it means to be indigenous. Mm -hmm. And and I feel like there's so much more that we can offer as as an identity of people um, Mm -hmm. in science fiction, that we, we are real tangible humans who currently exist in this time and who deserve to exist in the future. I think that's, it's, it's called indigenous futurism, future indigenism. That's something that I'm trying to tell more with my stories, with like the Netflix uh, finalist grant that I got. I'm trying to tell like more indigenous uh, stories in the future because that's so dear to me and my heritage. Mm-hmm. My, my family mm-hmm. are Taino, my dad's Caribe. Like I want to tell those stories in, in ways that are, not told often we we get some mm-hmm. native americans from the west obviously uh and some mayan culture uh allusions in media but where are the indigenous people in the antilles and the caribbean that's the sort of stories that i want to tell mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then on that topic yeah for those that may not know you were you were one of the netflix spark grants recipients uh so from which is honestly congrats again that's super amazing that you were selected uh, from the application process to the participation in the actual program, how was that experience for you? Um, I was one of the finalists. I did not get the full grant, but mm. but but um, I am on like a call list. They're like, we really want the story to win. We did. I didn't win the grant because it was for a short film, and they're like, we don't want this to be a short film. We want this to be a series. Uh, so, wow. So yeah. So like, so you didn't win the grant. But you have our full attention. You have access to all of these writers and directors that we want you to talk with and collaborate with as you develop your story further because we see the potential here. Uh, so I applied for the Netflix LXIA Spark Animation Grant, which is a grant that offers the opportunity for young Latino creators uh, mm. to present their mm-hmm. live action or animated ideas to Netflix so it can get produced into a short. Because mm-hmm. uh, Netflix is sort of trying to do more of those like Pixar shorts, uh, but with mm-hmm. animation. But I applied out of like a thousand candidates. I got to like uh, the top 10, which is really exhilarating. Yeah. I presented a pitch portfolio. I 
think I only did it in like a week. <laughs> Damn, nice. Yeah, I, I found out about it very late. They had like an entire month uh, of advertising, and I'm like, oh, I just found it. Oh, oh okay, it's in a week. Cool, 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 cool. So I <laughs> put together this little uh, love baby that I have uh, for a while. Focus on the chupacabra. Um, sounds a little bit cliche, but I, I feel like the story of the chupacabra has been bastardized so much mm. by, by the West, where it's been sort of relegated into almost racist stereotype that it only applies to like Mexican cultures. And, and it stems from xenophobic roots of like Latino identities being interchangeable. Uh, mm-hmm. because the chupacabra is actually from Puerto Rico. Like, its its roots come from Puerto Rico. But media in the West were like, oh, Puerto Ricans are sort of like Mexicans. So it, it started being attributed to Mexican culture, uh, and now it's it's just something mm-hmm. that everybody relates to, to Mexico. When it's, like, we've had stories of a chupacabra dating back to, like, the 1800s. Um, yeah. So, I didn't know that, yeah. Back, way back in the day. Um, so that's something that I really want to like bring to light in a sci-fi setting. And mm. children, children of the Antilles is sort of like this chance for me to tell authentic Puerto stories of, of indigenous culture and, and African culture in, in a way that feels true to us and not just a simplification of what it means to be Latino in the Caribbean. Sounds rad mm-hmm. as hell. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm so trying. excited for that. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, one of the kind of other things I kind of wanted to ask is because, yeah, you mentioned that you're like 26 when you started uh, RIT. So, yeah, you graduated with a bachelor's in fine arts and graphic design from the University of Puerto Rico back mm-hmm. in 2013. What inspired you to kind of continue that education to go to Rochester Institute of Technology um, and to, you know, keep pursuing a higher education in, in animation and the arts? Is that so I- in the States? Or New York, RIT? I think. Yeah, it's oh, in New okay. York. It's in upstate New York, uh, like an hour away from Canada. Very cold, very remote. <laughs> <laughs> very, it's not New York. It's New York, mm-hmm. but is it really sort of deal? I was studying microbiology for my bachelor's degree, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, I've always been a nerd about science and I was doing that and my parents were like, you know what, we love you, but we don't want you to be a doctor because you're not great at math. They meant in the positive, like most nicest way possible. They're like you, you like art. You want to be an artist? Go be an artist. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, mom, dad, you know, like this starving artist trope. I don't want to do that to you guys. I need to take care of the family. And they're like, we're always going to be poor. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor or not. <laughs> so like, just go, just go be an artist because you love it. And we need people like you. Uh, to tell art about that. Mm-hmm. So go be an artist. Uh, so I did that. I, I shifted my major from biology to art. Uh, I still did my minor in, my, in biology, but like mm-hmm. focus on art. Did the whole comic book strip for a bit. And I just wanted to do animation, apply for a bunch of animation schools. And within like a three month period, I was at RIT. Uh, didn't really think too much about it. I, I applied to call art, um, but it was too expensive. they're like oh we can offer you a grant it's like it's five thousand (laughs) dollars this is nothing (laughs) nothing so i just said no um and i went to rt which like paid my education in full basically yay minority oh okay yeah oh that's amazing yeah awesome (laughs) and then from there your time at rt kind of 
set off your career when you posted on that uh, Facebook group? Yeah, uh, like I hadn't even, I think I was 24 uh, by the time that I applied, 25, 25, um, when I was at RIT, mm-hmm. and then just immediately started sp- like spiral really quickly. So I'm like, oh, I'm too, I'm too old to be in animation. And then animation was like, no, you aren't. Nobody's too old, friend. Nope. <laughs> yeah, nobody cares. It's just a work. <laughs> exactly. So before we kind of start wrapping up, uh, one of the second to last things I kind of wanted to ask is, and we got to talk about it very briefly, especially with what you're doing with the Netflix uh, Spark Grant or the Netflix uh, program. How do you feel your cultural background kind of influences you and your art? I feel very strongly about my like my indigenous roots. I feel very strongly about my Latina roots. I, I want these stories to be told in ways that are exciting and new and fresh in uh, different genres. I don't want us just to be like segregated to like a comedy trope, you know, um, mm-hmm. or like a, a drug lord <laughs> crime syndicate. Like we, we can be more than that, guys. We can be adventurous. We can be a pineapple farmer in the mountains of Puerto Rico who finds a chupacabra and like begins her journey fighting against, um, <laughs> you know, an oppressive colonizing government. We can be that. <laughs> um, so that's, that's mostly, I, I just want stories where I can see people who look like me. And, and I think we're seeing a shift in that where films like Spider-Verse have, um, you know, Miles Morales, who is of mm-hmm. Puerto Rican and Dominican descent. Uh, and black and being front and center as like one of the main characters and those yeah. aspects of his identity are crucial to us as viewers uh, mm-hmm. but are sort of like afterthoughts in, in the story because it's so in tune with who he is as a person that it doesn't need to be explained I'm tired yeah. of explaining mm-hmm. myself <laughs> yeah. to, mm-hmm. to media I'm tired of us having to be like this is the reasoning why I'm so no I don't want to have to explain it. This is this, mm-hmm. this is just why I am. You don't have to explain every white character. Why do we have to explain or rationalize every other BIPOC? So mm-hmm. that's sort of like what what inspires me to create more characters who are irreverently who they are. Mm-hmm. Totally. That's great. I think that's a really good point. I feel like you as a creator kind of coming up and uh, coming into like lead roles is has been really cool because in the same way that like Chris, uh, Chris Picardo, he like, mm-hmm. you were like, oh man, this short is not going anywhere. Like nobody cares about this. And he was like being the hype man, you know, like, you know, <laughs> chilling it out to everyone, making sure that it is seen. I feel like you are going to become that person. <laughs> I <need laughs> Just so this. passionate about those kinds of stories mm-hmm. and like really showing your passion here. Uh, during the interview today like i feel that and i hope that yeah. we get to see more of these stories like whether you make them or whether you find them and share them like i'm looking I, forward to a lot of that. i feel like we need to do that as a community like all all vipocs we need to support that because yeah mm-hmm. that's something that for example japan just does their own thing and they don't care how it's going to be received by the general masses and they still have success in their general box offices so I feel like mm-hmm. we need to, you know, stop worrying about those numbers and just tell the stories that we want to tell. Be the creators of what we want to see on screen without worrying mm-hmm. about like, who's going to care? I care. Don't, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't it matter that you care? Isn't that enough? It is enough. Mm-hmm. No, very true. Yeah. Well, before we get into our final question, mm-hmm. where can our audience find you, Ange? And is there anything else you want to promote? I'm currently on most active on Instagram. At Angelica Ahevis or Ajelvis? 
Uh, Agelvis. We'll have it in the description. Yeah, uh, have it in the description because everyone's gonna be like, did she just swallow marbles? Um, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram. I'm most active there. Um, I also have a Twitter. I'm not as active there because Twitter is scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I'll a, be. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's so scary. <laughs> Listen, I got death threats on Twitter for that SpongeBob. Yes. I like it got so bad that Rebecca Sugar had to like send me a, a personal message like I'm so sorry you're getting all of this. I'm like oh. that's crazy. So Twitter is too scary. Instagram lovely. We love it. <laughs> um I'm going to be open up a Patreon soon cuz I'm going to be working on production and pre-production and production stuff for Children of the Antilles and Hellboy anime that I'm sort of like <laughs> Doing a passion oh, sweet. Yes, I love Hellboy. Obviously, I love the goth aesthetic. If my love for Big O is not evident, I love all that. <laughs> so I'm just sort of doing that. And and if you guys want to check out a cool Hellboy Hellboy anime or a cool sci-fi indigenous story, you can follow me on Instagram and Patreon. That'd be nice. Both of them, Angelica Hezis. Awesome. Please, please give her a follow. She's absolutely <laughs> amazing. Oh, thank you. And as as we kind of come to a close, is there any final advice you would want to bestow on those that want to pursue a career in animation? This was so, always so tough. This is such a tough question. <laughs> um, just do it. <laughs> I, know I know that sounds so obvious, but like uh, a lot of people tend to overthink and like don't overthink. Like no thoughts have empty. Dive into it. Who cares if you're not at the right place of your life? Who cares if it's not like the right time? There's never going to be a right time to be who you want to be, who you want to become. So just start your journey now. Who knows where you're going to be? Maybe next year you're going to be like, I don't like animation. That's fine. Like, I didn't want to be a biologist, and then I didn't want to be a tattoo artist, and then I didn't want to be a newspaper columnist. Now I'm an animator. Maybe next year I'm going to be want to be like, I don't know, a writer. Who cares? This is your story. Like, just do what you want to do. Be the main character mm-hmm. to your story. <laughs> be the be the Batman. Don't be the Robin. Okay? Dude, be the Batman of your own uh, story. I'm, I'm so attacked right now. <laughs> Hell yeah. I love that. Uh, well well put. Well put. I'll I'll heed that advice. I'll be the Batman. <laughs> it's okay. If you if you can be Robin, be like the Teen Titan. You know, main character. Be like the Robin. cool Rob. Be the cool Rob. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today, Ange. And if you audience enjoyed our interview with Angelica today, please rate and follow us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StraightAheadAP. And if you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us on social media or send us an email at StraightAheadPodcast at gmail.com. We love discovering new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. Special thanks to Ashley Itleon for editing this episode. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Redier. Thanks again for listening. And thank you once again to our guest who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye. You can say, say bye, bye too. too. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> bye. Bye-bye. Adios.